0: back to the diversity in tech leaders podcast with me jess sutcliffe at Caltech. i am sure you're probably bored of hearing that introduction by now but we have a great guest joining us next is janice omadeke i'm pronouncing that correctly just before uh yeah perfect (laughs) from the mentor method now If you haven't seen Janice on LinkedIn, on any websites have been included on Forbes as well, I would be extremely surprised. I've been seeing her name pop up everywhere. And a few people that we've had on the podcast have actually recommended that we reach out. So thank you so much for joining us today, Janice. I will leave the floor to you to introduce yourself. Yes,
1: thank you. And very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm Janice Omedeki. I'm CEO and founder of the Mentor Method, which is a software that helps enterprise companies build inclusive cross-functional mentorship programs at scale in under an hour. So a lot of our customers are in the Fortune 500 space, including Amazon and the Department of Education, and they would call us the eHarmony for internal corporate mentorship because of the way we're fostering meaningful connections and in a way that helps them stay even more productive. I'm from the DC metro area, originally born and raised, but I'm first generation American from the Congo and moved to Austin about four years ago, just continuing to build the company and a great life here. Big advocate when it comes to diversity and inclusion, obviously given you know the intersections in which I'm a part. I've faced a lot of systemic biases whether that was in my personal life or professionally. So opportunities to share more about diversity and inclusion to help educate and motivate people to implement those changes is a deep passion of mine across my both personal and professional life. So again, Jessica, very excited to get into this with you.
0: Absolutely. Well, again, thank you very much for joining us. And as mentioned, I couldn't think of a, a more fitting person to be joining our diversity mm-hmm. in tech leaders podcast so I mean I know you've given a little bit of an introduction to you there and the mental method as well can you give us a little bit of background into your journey into the tech world and how you came about finding the mental method
1: yeah so I loved this question and I was thinking about it, the foray into tech, but honestly, I was exposed to tech very early as a child and not only that, but the power that it can have on your quality of life just through my parents' experiences. So they immigrated here in the 70s for college. They met in the States, you know, had me and my two siblings, but late 80s, early 90s, I remember seeing my mom taking typing classes so that she could get promoted into new opportunities when that was a thing, like actual typing classes. Or I remember seeing my dad participating in a workforce development program that got him deeper into technology, as well as that intersection between technology and government. And that completely changed our lives, you know, and it made more opportunities, not just for our immediate family, but for ways for us to sponsor other families to come to America. Or you know ways that we could contribute to our family that was still overseas so i've always kind of been exposed to tech my dad always talks about how i was fascinated with computers and software even as a kid like going through you know one of those old html for dummies just always wanting to learn more about like coding and building things in high school i did autocad i just really loved it again getting into software found my way into graphic design in undergrad. That's what I majored in. That's what I did my entire profession when I was corporate for some of the biggest companies in the world. So that was really exciting. And being a corporate designer, you end up getting exposed to more than just graphic design. So you're getting into web design, you're getting into videography, you're getting into sound editing, so many other aspects of that intersection of tech and creativity that it was amazing, quite honestly. And then that experience in the tech world actually did transition my experience to building the mentor method. So when I was a graphic designer for a management consulting firm, I was volunteered into creating a mentorship program for like 150 people. And obviously as a manager of management consulting, you were so busy as is, I wasn't sure how we were going to find the time to manually match this many people. Something else to note is that this company was still fully remote long before the pandemic. I mean, I left in 2018, so this was like 2016, 2017. And so I was stuck matching based on People's LinkedIn bios and a paragraph, and then looking at their career snapshots, which nobody's performance appraisal should be a part of getting matched to a mentor. Yeah. So, speaking of not diverse <laughs> and inclusive, but you know, I looked online for solutions that could give me something to match people at scale that was still impactful, and I didn't see it anywhere. So, I then used you know, my background in technology to build just something for my team, but I ended up not being able to stop thinking about it and was just tinkering on it nights and weekends until I took the Mentor Method on full time and moved to Austin in 2018. So wow, that's, that's, amazing. My, that's my tech journey.
0: That is amazing. And I mean, in terms of that, then I imagine that's probably quite time consuming, especially if you're scrolling down LinkedIn and finding matches and going through the buyers and oh, yeah. Everything.
1: It took so much time and I couldn't understand why you could find the perfect pair of shoes, right? At that point, you could get a date, you could meet friends. I think Bumble BFF had just come out at the time, yet you couldn't find a mentor that understood you and got you. You were just stuck with the biases that everybody has in the hands of this one person to make one of the most important relationships you have in your career. It was just crazy to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of intertwining diversity in tech then. Was that always something on the radar or was it something that just sort of fell into place, you know, when you were going through the setting up the mentor, mentoring, uh, the sort of the mentorship previously?
1: This was always critical to what we were doing. I mean, when I started the mentor method, we were actually a B2C platform matching women to mentors. And so that diversity perspective has always been core to what we do and going deeper into that, recognizing the experience of you know Black women and women of color and the fact that there is that broken rung in the corporate ladder, if you will, that keeps women of color behind more so than our overrepresented counterparts. The mission was always to level the playing field for everyone so that you got matched to the right person, re- regardless of your demographics and thankfully we're seeing that. I mean, our tool really speaks for itself when our customers see those results. You know, we're saving them hundreds of millions of dollars in retention and resourcing costs. We're seeing 5% increases in retention, which is huge when you think about the companies we work with and the size of their employee base. And you know, there's a stat on diversity, equity, and inclusion roles. I'm sure that you know the exact number, but there's been such a huge increase in DEI roles within the tech space. I think a part of that is also because companies stopped at the hiring piece and then didn't give these people, you know, resources or budgets. So a part of our work, you know, transitioning into more of what we do you know, we work with those leaders that are, you know, in their first year or maybe in a new position that wasn't there before. So they have no past performance data or something. You know, we work with them to help them implement a cross-functional program at scale without having to sacrifice, you know, their own budgets and time and impact. And we do this through our customizable software. You know, it's based on the type of program that a customer wants to create and our data and reporting so that they know that it's actually working
0: well yeah absolutely and I mean in terms of that even staff retention it people invested in the mentor method staff retention alone will save them so much money as opposed to maybe somebody coming in and wanting to leave after six months because they don't necessarily feel like it's an inclusive environment perfect so obviously DEI I mean it's been around for a while but more heavily over the past couple of years, I'd probably say. How have you managed to navigate supporting diversity, equity and inclusion in the industry with it being very new to many businesses?
1: Yeah, I think for us, it's going back to what I was saying about, you know, these new individuals that are just so strapped for time, team, and resources, and being able to work alongside them to help them reach those talent retention goals. Especially now with the great resignation, what's interesting is that, you know, everybody's talking about this great migration of talent, but what we're not talking about is that these HR and diversity and inclusion teams that are responsible for trying to Course correct what's taking place, they're also losing talent, right? So these teams are, you know, sometimes cut in half because their teammates are also up and leaving and trying to find new opportunities. So when we talk about the diversity and inclusion conversation, it's less about, you know, the type of people that are being hired and more on the types of resources these individuals are being given because you can hire the most brilliant chief diversity officer in the world but if you give them one dollar and half an intern and tell them to increase their retention rates by five percent that's borderline impossible so when we dissect that entire industry and conversation we really think about you know the best pathways to support them and all the intersections of their role.
0: Yeah absolutely and also again just touching off being able to get your staff retention and enough resource for them to be able to actually do the job that they're brought in to do, that again, in turn, results in a lot more attraction. Candidates Absolutely. are going to be or people that are interested in working with the company. I don't know the exact percentages, but I think I might do a poll on this actually on LinkedIn and find out. Why not? <laughs> but I know a lot. Of, it's like seventy, eighty percent of people want to join a company now or work with a company that are at least passionate about diversity inclusion doing something about it not only on the face so when you're scrolling on linkedin and you're seeing how many diverse candidates there are and not only that but a lot of these things diversity wise you can't see a lot of people and you know rightly so shouldn't have to put out their gender or if they don't want to if you know if transgender people don't feel comfortable Coming out at the moment, a part of the LGBT community, it's not something you can necessarily see on the face of LinkedIn of profiles. Disabilities as well, everything. There's so many different backgrounds to it. So again, completely true what you're saying, and it in turn results in the attraction for people to want to work with the companies. So I
1: would also add, though, to that point, Jessica, that you know, mentorship is a big piece of that too. PwC did a study that showed that I think 71% of millennials do review companies to see if they have a mentorship program as part of their consideration for joining that company, which is really interesting. And then other studies have shown that companies have like a 50 out of the percent. So let's say the average turnover percentage is like 25%. Over 50% of those people will cite as part of their reason for voluntarily leaving, not having a mentor so it's a big market and definitely a big issue to solve as you're thinking about recruiting and diversity and inclusion
0: yeah absolutely and i guess on the other side of things then because you're helping companies you know becoming we're more diverse and inclusive, and retaining that talent through mentorship. How have you been able to incorporate diversity and inclusion into the mentor method, whether that's through the hiring processes that you do, or even on the other side of it, in helping them?
1: Yeah. So the first thing that's important to us is that everyone on the team has a personal connection to our mission. You know, our mission is to make sure that everybody gets access to the right mentors regardless of where they started. Everybody gets up onto the same rung with the same opportunities. That's very important to us. And so in our interview process, we're asking what that connection is. You know, like, like why are you choosing to corporate job to come join a startup? Like what else is in that for you? And it's a great way to check on values and mission alignment. You know, this is amazing work, but it's also still hard work. And so we want people that will understand that this is bigger than where we are right now and join in on the vision that we're quickly moving towards every day. I think also this helps um, select people that Just understand that entrepreneurial mindset, and that's really important. But I'm also intentional about diversity just across diversity of thought, experience, background, socioeconomic standing. That's been really important to us. So when we were thinking about our VP of sales, I like to hire diversely but very intentionally. And so I wanted our VP of sales to be a woman. Women-led businesses outperform significantly. Women are incredible problem solvers. And given the work that we do, it's also important that we use the strengths of women to be able to connect with people in a deeper way, because diversity and inclusion is a sensitive topic, even when it's your full-time job. And so when we were going through the recruiting process, I only met with women. And you know, our VP of sales, Stephanie Lowry, is just an absolute dream, like ex- Exactly, who we wanted and validates all the reasons I just listed for wanting to work with a woman, which is really phenomenal. On top of that, Keela Lester heads up our marketing division, and it's the exact same thing. You know, looking at our team structure, three fifths of our leadership roles in the mentor method are held by women, and of those, two thirds are Black women. So I don't even know how to put into words the way I'm feeling, even just saying that stuff to you. The fact that, you know, we're not only promoting diversity and inclusion and giving our customers, you know, a more diverse and inclusive workforce, but really being able to live our values in a way that shows that it's really not as hard as people make it out to be. It's phenomenal. And it means a lot to us.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, we touched on it briefly before, but it's the talent is out there. It's just you need Absolutely. to not just look on one platform to to find it. Sometimes it takes a bit of a longer search. Sometimes it takes searching yeah. somewhere else. Sometimes it might be a friend that can recommend somebody or somebody that you know. But yeah, I think it's super interesting as well that you mentioned about doing that intentionally. There's always some people that comment a little bit on that. Which, if anybody's listening to this, yeah. feel free to. It starts a conversation. But uh, after speaking with a few people, actually, you know companies that are passionate about diversity inclusion have said that they are intentionally recruiting and hiring diversely to make sure that they've got that train of thought that not only is diverse and inclusive but it represents their consumer markets as well and what they stand for and I think it's so easy to tell you know for example you've incorporated a question into the interview process on whether their values align with what you're looking for and what you stand for it's so easy to tell whether people are authentic with those questions absolutely it's so easy to tell I don't know how it just is you can tell if somebody's <laughs> Bothered about it or not, especially in this era, and it's something that, again, another reason why I wanted to do this podcast was to, like you like, said it's a sensitive topic for uh, a lot of people, but to normalise the conversation to a point where people feel comfortable having that conversation, or more comfortable, and it being more involved in conversations and in the environment, especially in the workplace, where a lot of these people aren't going to be educated again they might not go back to college they might not go back to school it's really important that you know mentors are provided around how they can make workforces more inclusive 100% so in your opinion then because obviously we've talked about creating diverse workforces both from from your side every company really should be doing it why is it important to create diverse workforces in your opinion
1: Yeah, well, I mean, outside of it just being the right thing to do, right? When you think about the bottom line, like we could get into altruism all day, but companies, let's be real, especially, you know, those in the CEO and CFO category, they care about the bottom line, right? And how this impacts their margins. So when you overlap, you know, diversity and inclusion with that, the more diverse your team is. The greater your insights are just naturally into diverse markets that you could expand into. And sometimes companies don't think about that. You know, your employees oftentimes could be your first foray into customer discovery. You know, they'll know a lot of their community better than you will. You know, and it's important to start getting those base level data points as you continue through your general customer discovery process. When you're successful in that, you can then expand your market share and outperform your competitors because you have that deep neurological understanding of your customers so acutely that your customer or your competitors rather will always be trying to figure out how you got there, how you're landing every marketing campaign, how you're seeing, you know, month over month growth at astronomical numbers compared to them. And that's just something that you can't teach and it's not something that you can necessarily buy. So I think that's honestly the biggest piece of why diversity and inclusion is important. Also, you know, you don't want to get trapped in a bubble of homogenous thinking. We're in a culture and a space where you have to adapt and you have to adapt almost every 30 minutes, sometimes depending on the industry that you're in. And so if you're building a company around one thought process and not taking in diversity of thought, opinion, background, skill set, you're going to land on several more landmines than you would have already because that diversity of thought helps everybody navigate the landscape differently and you end up capturing more of it as you continue to expand so you end up spending more time You know, troubleshooting issues internal to your own company than solving issues for your customers. And that means there's a prime opportunity for your competitors to just kind of walk around you while you're trying to figure your stuff out because you missed so many blind spots because of your homogenous team thinking that, you know, you just end up falling behind in the market.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's worth mentioning there as well, which is why it's so important to have diverse people at decision making level. Mm because that's where their ideas are coming from that's where the decisions are made and even just being able to be a part I think DeVaris Brown who was previously on the podcast he said you know if your CEO isn't your chief diversity officer you've already lost because people want to buy in and see the passion come from the top and obviously that translates through throughout the company as well so yeah that's that's a super important point to to touch on moving on to the next question then so i can see you're very passionate and uh, you've got a lot of ideas and it seems like you'd be an absolutely great leader to be under how would you describe your leadership style and what advice would you give to somebody from an underrepresented community hoping that to progress into a leadership role or start their own company?
1: Yeah, it's interesting trying to answer this question because the only people that really know the type of leader I am are my team, right? Like I would yeah. base it off of their input, right? But. We
0: should have got a feedback form,
1: isn't it, for this? I know. You can do my next 360 review. How about that? No, that's fine. <laughs> but in terms of the type of leader I want to be, or I hope that my team thinks I am, I think that's probably a better way of phrasing it, I would categorize myself as direct, but empathetic and always seeking to understand. So I ask a lot of questions because the more I understand about our team's experience and all of our departments, the better I can help. Right. Like I feel like as the CEO, to your point, you know, you're the chief diversity officer and really the culture starts with you and ends with you. So the more that I know about, you know, the cross functionality of our team and if there are certain dynamics that aren't working well or somebody's burnt out or somebody is like they're having enough time with their kids or whatever it is, you know, the sooner I can solve for that. Cause like my number one job is to take care of my team because I cannot do this without them. And I am grateful for every single member of our team, genuinely. Like I'm getting goosebumps talking about (laughs) it. I love our team so much. And so my job is to make sure that they're okay. And obviously performing because we have KPIs and investors and metrics, but, you know, they can't do that if we're not taking care of our people first. So that's an important part. Um, for me, just being curious about the team in general, in terms of company perks, mental health is the most important thing for me. I know that it has saved me just in general, but also has made me a stronger founder, the more that I've invested into understanding myself and just my overall mental health and well-being. So at the Mentor Method, we have a monthly mental health stipend. I think it's like $150 a month. Everybody oh, wow. gets it for um, going to therapy. Or, you know, somebody does rock climbing and that's their therapy. Fine. Whatever it is for your mental health and well-being, we have that monthly stipend for everyone. The first Friday of every month, we're closed for a mental health day. I am still working, but I take my mental health day a little bit later on, like Saturday or Sunday. (laughs) the um, weekend. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a treat for me, right? Six days instead of seven. but. um You know first friday of every month we're closed for a mental health day every friday or thursday if we're off the following day um the last day of the week i'll say we do this thing called the weekly wrap-up where we all hop on zoom it's no longer than 30 minutes and popcorn style everyone shares a business win a personal win and something they're looking forward to doing over the weekend and it's just a great way to like connect and you know Cheer everybody on for all of the phenomenal work that we're all doing and get everybody, you know, public recognition. We're a virtual team. You know, I'm in my office right now, in my apartment. So it's a great way for us to just be people and not just focused on productivity in that in that time frame. I would also say, you know, thinking about the empathetic side, I think sometimes people can consider that too much of a soft skill or a nice to have. But what I found is that just treating people like people is actually very important. You know, you spend more time at work than you do with your friends, family, and spouses most days. So if you're creating a space that isn't psychologically safe for everyone, my opinion as a CEO, you've already failed. And that's like your first critical priority to take care of. And I think that just boils down to, empathy. And I have a lot of it, uh, as I was saying, you know, genuinely care about our team. So for example, when our vice president enterprise sales told me that she was expecting, I was so excited. And, you know, I cried after we had our conversation after I hung up the phone. So I was just so happy for her. And I was like, Oh, my God, you know, we have built the team long enough and strong enough that we're going to have like our first team baby, (laughs) which sounds crazy. But you know, when you have those moments to really get to know people and just hold space to hear about their experiences and like the first trimester and all of these other things, you start learning more about yourself too. Like, I feel like I learn a lot from my team about myself, which is the wildest thing. You know, seeing Stephanie expecting it just kicked it into high gear even more. Like, the mentor method is revenue. Like, it's just something that, like, our revenue is going towards diapers and college funds now, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, that's a very different headset when you're like, no, this is for families, (laughs) you know, like, human beings that will be here in, you know, in no time, it just changed my perception, and started changing the way that we're strategizing, and we're thinking bigger to get bigger. And that's been phenomenal. I think the last piece I would say about my leadership style, I really like to promote cross collaboration. So being active in like group Slack channels versus like one-on-ones or having the team be transparent about you know what they're working on and where they need help during our weekly team meetings and things like that, just so that we're always supporting each other. And I also ask for help all the time. And I will tell the team, hey, you know what? I know that I owe you this one paragraph that I'm supposed to approve, but my brain is fried after a full day of strategy and tech stars, I have, got to just sign off for like two hours but I'll be back just give me like two hours I'll be back on at 8 p.m and I'll respond then type thing but fostering that space to be a person first again going back to that has been really really integral to our development and part of my leadership style
0: yeah and I think again like you were saying the vast majority of your life is at work and I think we're seeing it a lot more with startup companies. I mean, we vastly work with yeah. startup companies in the hypergrowth phase where they are introducing measures that can help with mental health, whether that's having mental health days. I'm lucky enough to work in a company where we only work four days a week. So I absolutely yeah. love that. I do work US hours, though, so I do finish at half eleven UK time, which is fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but when we're out in Austin we won't be doing that anymore so it's all good but yeah I mean even what you were saying around you know the $150 to be able to go to therapy or rock climbing or whatever you might want to do to release any stress that you might have go for some food enjoy whatever your release it is to be able to get that stress off because I imagine and I don't want to put any one off working for a startup company but it's a lot of work from my understanding seven days a week as a CEO and it's a yeah. real collaboration of people coming together so to be able to even you know class the people that you work with as friends where you know you're excited that you, you know your colleagues are having children and the salaries that you're paying and the jobs that you're building are allowing them to fund you know the the preschool the nappies the food whatever the case is I imagine that's quite a fulfilling feeling. Yeah I mean and just going
1: back to your point around the seven days keep in mind yeah it's working seven days but it's working for something that I genuinely love right? And something that's been proven to work and something that is, you know, changing lives and, you know, our customers, employees experiences. So it's well worth it for me. I think a good point, though, is that I don't expect my team to be working seven days a week. Sometimes I've seen it with CEOs, especially it's like, well, I'm giving this everything I have, you know, and they can't understand why their team isn't doing the same thing. But that's not the requirement. Like, that shouldn't actually not be the case because then something is wrong in my opinion
0: yeah and I mean even just off the back of that when you're treating your employees right they might just do a little bit more whether that's voluntary whether they have to or not I know I work Fridays quite a few few weeks just because I mean one I want to do well and two they look after us so well here that I feel so appreciated and I want to be able to help them grow as a business and for me to grow as well and in terms of reaching the metrics you know you've got your, your KPIs that you've got to hit for the investor right. meetings and whatever but a very hard metric to pinpoint is happiness mm. so being able to provide you know safe space for people or even just positives at the end of the week where you know you've got something good to talk about about work personal life and people coming together especially remotely everyone's felt it over the past few years it's it can be quite lonely and isolating especially if you live on your own so to be able to have that communal time in a workspace is super important in terms of moving on we are probably at the end of the podcast, to be honest, I'm trying to come up with another question, but I, uh, I don't have one. <laughs> but I really appreciate you joining us today, Janice. If you had one message to leave our readers, at least listeners, it's been a long day. What would that be? <laughs> be
1: entrepreneurial about your diversity and inclusion and talent retention metrics. If you were hemorrhaging customers in the way that companies are hemorrhaging talent right now, you better believe those companies would throw every possible resource to keep those customers and acquire new ones that'll stay for years to come. And it's mind boggling to me that companies aren't taking that same approach to their biggest asset, their employees. So I would just encourage those of you in a position that can impact and influence talent retention, Let's connect, Janice at the method.com. I'd love to see how we can help you be entrepreneurial and successful in that journey.
0: Well, there you go. I'll tag that in the post as well when I post it. But thank you so much for joining us today, Janice. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think you're doing amazing work over at The Mentor Method. And I definitely look forward to seeing what you do in the future because I imagine it's gonna be an exciting one.
1: Thank you so much.
0: No problem.